Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. As I'm sure you all know by now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away, which leads to the conversation of, is there anything the Democrats can do to stop the Republicans from filling that seat? Of course, Mitch McConnell said that the Republicans would not fill a seat a year before an election, or he said at least that such a rule should exist. He claimed that there was even precedent for it when, of course, they blocked Merrick Garland for 10 months before an election, and obviously much longer than that by the time the president and a new Congress had convened. So now Mitch McConnell has trashed the so called McConnell rule and says, no, I don't care. It's not the last year. I don't care if it's just six weeks before an election. We're going to seat someone new into this seat immediately. Donald Trump agrees. We can point out their hypocrisy until we're blue in their in the face, and we have. And we can tell you to go vote for Democrats, and we have. But that's for the future. For now, the question is: Is there anything the Democrats can do to actually block this? Uh, nominee, whoever it might be, from going forward. So we brought on Michael Waldman. He is the president uh, for the Center for Justice at NYU Law School. Uh, Michael, uh, great to have you here on TYT. Oh, great to be with you under uh, not such great circumstances. Uh, agreed. Um, so uh, let's get to it. Uh, let's uh, talk about some of the different ways that the Democrats can, at a minimum, delay the proceedings and whether that'll have an effect. So some are in the Senate, some are the, these options are in the House. So let's start with option number one, which is the Democrats asking for unanimous consent on each vote in the Senate. So how would that work and would that be effective? Well, the most important thing to understand is that it is so late in the congressional year. And that's actually precisely why it's so outrageous for Trump and McConnell to try to jam this through. Um, I, I'm uh, not a believer that McConnell set some standard we have to follow when he blockaded Merrick Garland. But as you say, that was practically a year before the end of the term. These are days before Congress goes out of session. Time is precious. And although the filibuster has been eliminated for Supreme Court nominees, and other judges, by the Democrats for the other judges, by the Republicans for the Supreme Court. Uh, Democrats could slow things down a lot, asking for votes, roll call votes on everything, making drawing every drop of procedural blood they can. Um, and then eventually the clock runs out. 
Um, and uh, that, that is one possible thing. And they would need to be very organized and very aggressive and very ruthless and willing to uh, make everybody work very late. Uh, so Michael, on that one, I completely failed to see the downside. So let's talk it through. Uh, senators have, Democratic senators would have to work a little harder. Wow. Well, part of the problem, <laughs> part of the part of the time jam, of course, is that we're having this conversation before the election, and there's a lame duck potentially likely after the election. In other words, a session that's held after the election. But whenever Congress is in session, and this has been an issue with lots of other things, sooner or later they get really antsy and they want to go home and campaign. Now, the funny thing, I hadn't even thought of that. Usually they're desperate to get home and pump the flesh and go to rallies. Now, maybe if they're all doing it on Zoom anyway, they can do it from Washington, D.C. But the, the Democratic senators, as well as the Republican senators, sooner or later get really agitated and want to be done before the election. But the, the dragging out the clock is absolutely something that the Democrats could try. It wouldn't necessarily succeed because the Republicans would simply have to outlast them. But one of the goals probably for the Democrats is to make sure that a vote doesn't happen before the election. Um, the politics of a vote in the lame duck could be very different than they seem right now. So uh, dragging things out is always a time on a legislative strategy. So let's talk a little bit more about that, especially in regards to the lame duck. So it is possible that if Mark Kelly wins the Arizona seat, that he could be seated as early as November 30th. So they wouldn't have to wait till January 3rd when the new Congress would convene. So that means that the Democrats you know, have a fighter's chance here. But would they have to delay the votes now so that votes can be delayed in the lame duck? Or can they start this procedure in the lame duck and have it be just as effective? Well, it's a great question, and uh, you know the mechanics of legislating is not something we normally have to spend a lot of time thinking about. But for anybody watching this who wants an amazing read and also has a lot of time on their hands, I encourage you to read uh, the Robert Caro biographies of Lyndon Johnson, both the book The Master of the Senate and then the most recent book called The Passage of Power, because LBJ, who was the greatest legislative magician there was as a, as a party leader. Um, he understood that the way to get a vote on something you wanted later was to clear the way now on other stuff. And you're right that it would not be enough for the Democrats to just demand votes you know, around Supreme Court nominations, but they would have to demand votes, very lengthy votes on everything. And of course, again, that sounds great. It sounds hardball and it's hard to do because that would mean stalling a stimulus to help provide funds for, if there is such a thing, funds for states and funds for people who are unemployed um, and other things like that. It may also be the case that the Republicans would say, hey, we don't have anything we want to do. <laughs> We're just, don't worry about stalling our bills. We don't have any bills. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a complex thing. And Mitch McConnell is um, not a, a beacon of principle. He's as they say, he gives hypocrisy a bad name. But the one thing he knows is is how to stall and how somebody else could stall too. 
Yeah, so that's interesting on a couple of fronts. By the way, if you want another good book to read, it's The Fight to Vote. It's Michael Waldman's book, and it could be relevant in this case too, and it's a good read. But in terms of the lame duck session and the points that you were bringing up, it would appear to me that this might actually be a good way for to get the Republicans to propose a different coronavirus stimulus bill. <laughs> because if you start delaying everything, they're gonna wanna break that logjam with a coronavirus bill because they're gonna assume that the Democrats can't delay that. Or something, well, as you know, in Congress, a lot of the way stuff happens is there are must pass bills. And they're bills that everybody feels they have to vote for, used to be things probably still is something like the Defense Department authorization or appropriations bill, the spending bill. Um, and because the thing is a must pass, then you can kind of slap some other things onto it. Uh, and if the, and if you make the uh, politics right, you can get other things passed. And right now, if there's nothing but coronavirus, that's a real must pass, then they, they may have a, a reason for doing that. Um, you know, I, look, I think the Democrats have, what we don't know is this, the Republicans are gonna wanna rush. Are they gonna wanna rush so much that they have no hearing? Are they gonna rush it so much that they basically jam it through in a couple of days in uh, in October? Uh, they could, I suppose. There's no law that says you have to take time to consider anything. But I do think that they have to be attentive to the political optics that it would look even more egregiously a power grab to not even be pretending to have an actual confirmation process. Yeah, and Mike, if- I, honestly, I don't think they care one bit about that, not 1%, because it's not the old days. Like if you tell MAGA guys, hey, we did a power grab, they're gonna throw a party. <laughs> it's not like they're gonna be like, well, well before. who knows, but McConnell, um, McConnell, cares a lot about judges, but he also cares about keeping the Senate. And he can't entirely control the panicked self-interest of some of his senators. Although somebody like Cory Gardner, who people thought was somebody who possibly could be importuned to um, say, well, I'm not gonna vote before the election, or I don't think it's right for a, a, a president to make this nomination now, he's come out saying, oh, I'll vote for somebody. And you start to get people like Cory Gardner, who's probably looking in, at the polls and saying, you know, I need to have a career as a lobbyist ahead of me. And I probably should not anger, you know, anger the Republicans who are gonna be the ones getting my clients tax loopholes. Uh, these people start to have a, a personal calculus that, that a little ugly sometimes. Yeah, well, look, uh, also uh, in the lame duck session, if you've lost, you have no incentive not to vote for the uh, position. So if you're Collins or Gardner and you've already lost your election, they're definitely gonna put someone in. Well, so- here's what, you know, but then uh, uh, the conservative writer who's become a, a very uh, fierce never Trumper, David Frum, he makes the point, he says, right now it looks like McConnell is is you know a brilliant wielder of power and there's momentum and he can do un, uh, untrammeled whatever he wants. But if Trump really loses, as the polls show right now, by 10 million votes, um, and uh, if Trump really loses by 10 million votes, and then they bring it up for 
a vote in, in a lame duck session, you know, the, the momentum and the politics shifts and maybe somebody who's lost their seat might not care, but they also might not care about angering Mitch McConnell. And you may get other people feeling that it looks so illegitimate that it would make it really easy for the Democrats to expand the court in the next Congress. That The fact that Senator Schumer, who like so many people in the Senate, has never been a big fan of big moves to change the rules there on the filibuster and things like that. The fact that he has been quite adamant saying everything is on the table, everything is on the table. That threat in effect is one of the only aspects of power I think that the Democrats have here. But it's a pretty significant aspect if they're able to you know, at least pretend that they might follow through on it. Right, if history is any guide, they will not follow through, not 1%. And the Republicans will easily do it in a lame duck session. That's my guess, but let's keep going on the on what we know. So when you talk about must passes, Michael, what are, what are other must pass legislation between now and let's just say January 3rd? Well, the one thing that I don't actually know where it where it is, but I, I seem to remember that it's been kicked into the post-election period, uh, is the debt ceiling. Uh, now, this is one of these bizarro quirks of American government that no other country has, where basically every once in a while, Congress has to vote to raise the ceiling on the amount of debt the United States government can take on. And if, you know, in the old days, uh, and most of the time, it's kind of non-controversial. It's it's a technical matter, but people have figured out, especially in recent years, the Republicans, the the Tea Party Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, have figured out that uh, they can really um, hold everybody hostage because if you don't raise the debt ceiling, it could cause a massive financial crisis. Um, it really is, you know, give me what I want or I'm going to shoot this puppy, and. Um, it's possibly one of the most irresponsible things that people do. And I would guess, I could be wrong, but I would guess that the Democrats would not be willing to threaten to not raise the debt ceiling and cause an economic collapse as a, as a, uh, as a tactic here. In other words, do that we, might be something they would not be willing to do. Michael, do we have any idea if uh, that comes up before or after the election? I don't think it comes up before the election because I think they've made deals to make sure it comes up after the election. I don't actually know off the top of my head whether whether there is a debt ceiling increase in the works in December or not. But these things are always timed so that they're pushed out of the way of where there's too much political peril. And this was something, as I remember, that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, negotiated with Steve Mnuchin earlier in the year to avoid a crisis. And again, look, the Democrats could decide it's worth it for that crisis. But I think that there is such an, there's a real ingrained opposition to using the debt ceiling that way among the Democrats over numerous fights with, yeah, you know, crazy Freedom Caucus people. Right. And I just doubt they would do it. Uh, yeah. Uh- I agree with you, and not only that, it's actually not in dispute. On Sunday, Nancy Pelosi said she would not do it, and she would not shut the government down at all. I totally disagree. 
I think that if you have one side that constantly is willing to use tactics that they know for a fact the other side is not willing to use, you'll have a completely unfair advantage, which is exactly what the Republicans have. So, yeah, but I, I, you know, we're in the middle of the worst public health crisis in decades and the worst economic crisis in decades, and so. Uh, no, since the remedy, since the no, remedy is available of expanding the court afterwards, that is something to throw into the mix. Yeah, but they're not going to do that either. They're not going to do any of these things. But that's okay. I want to know what their options actually are, because Tim Kaine has come out and said we're not going to expand the court either. But I'm going to get to that last. Uh, let's talk about a continuing resolution. Is there one between now and January 3rd? Do you know uh, to to fund the government? Is that another thing way that the uh, there certainly Republicans would threaten it. Democrats could, but do we know if there's one between now so, and then? So, you know, what a continuing resolution is, is when they can't agree on a number of things relating to the budget. What they do is they basically fund the government at the current level for a while. It's sort of continuing irresolution, if you want to think of it that way. And that was part of the deal that Pelosi made. And I do, I, I, this could be wrong. Um, but I do believe there's a continuing resolution that uh, is due to be voted on during the lame duck period. And that is absolutely something where they could play hardball. They could play hardball, they could shut the government down separate. And that's about the spending separate from the debt ceiling, which could collapse the financial markets um, and freeze up people's bank accounts. Um, it, it, I mean, ordinary people's bank accounts. But I would say that. Uh, Fighting hard on the continuing resolution or dragging it out are things they could do. Um, but I don't know. Look, a lot of these hardball tactics are things that um, they can do, they can try. Um, sooner or later, you're right, that if Mitch McConnell has the votes, he has the votes. The question is can they delay things enough to change the political dynamic? Is there anything that could change the political dynamic enough that one or two of these senators would think, you know what, I'm going to just not do this? And and it's not it's not likely because the holy grail of a right wing takeover of the Supreme Court has been something that has animated conservatives for decades, and the chance to finally get a vote to overturn Roe versus Wade is very hard for them to say no to. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the other thing that is, uh, of course, the, the other timing thing here that's a little crazy is the Affordable Care Act case. Um, so as you know, uh, a lower court in a very conservative judicial circuit of Trump judges struck down the whole Obamacare. And it was gonna go back up to the Supreme Court. And Roberts, who'd already ruled this way once in the last couple of years, Roberts was highly likely to join with the other four people, and and the Supreme Court would say, "Hey, you know, folks, we told you this this case is not this is no good." Well, of course, Justice Ginsburg's not on the court, and even if there is no replacement, when the case gets up there, that means presumably it's a four-four tie. Which means the lower court ruling stands, which means Obamacare may be dead already. When is that, Michael? November 10th, after the election. It was so cynical that they put it off after the election in the first place. 
Um, what a coincidence, right? But um, there was no reason, no reason at all to think that the Supreme Court was going to do anything other than reject the case once they got it. But because of the way the rules work in the courts, a tie, tie means that the lower court's ruling stands. Yeah. And unless, so, you know, unless one of them realizes what a, uh, what a uh, shock that would be, but I doubt it. Yeah. Okay, so before we're out of time, we gotta get to the last two options. So one is impeachment. So if they go to impeach, whether it's Bill Barr, Donald Trump, I can name you literally a dozen things you could impeach Donald Trump on, on top of what they already did, or anyone else. Does that automatically delay proceedings? Does it take priority over confirmation or no? So, you know, um, I know that Speaker Pelosi has floated this, and I, I have to think part of that is just because she knows it makes Trump so crazy when, when she does. I don't think it actually has the magic elixir powers that, that people might think, because it is true that under the rules of the Senate, once an impeachment goes over to the Senate, there's stuff they have to do, but it doesn't say they have to do it in any particular order. In other words, Impeachments of judges often will get over to the Senate, and the Senate says, "Oh, this is interesting. We're going to appoint a committee. They're going to look into it. They'll get back to us." There's nothing that says it cuts to the front of the line, as I understand it, or that everything else grinds to a halt. Um, I could be wrong, but my reading of of what I understand is that that's the case. That could be wrong, but that's my understanding. Okay, if that's the case, that makes it pretty useless. Uh, so that leaves us with the last one, which is expanding the court. Um, and when I say it leaves us, it doesn't mean the other options are not, um, uh, don't have potential. I think they do. And I think that as a matter of strategy, uh, if I were the Democratic leadership, I would say we're going to do all of these things if and only if the Republicans try to fill this seat, in which case it's not that we didn't raise the debt ceiling, it's that the Republicans didn't raise the debt ceiling because we told them we were gonna do it if they go to fill the seat. But that's strategy, that's political strategy. In terms of the things they actually can do, expanding the court, a lot of people have it in the back of their minds that that's a constitutional issue, it's not, right Michael? No, it's absolutely not. The size of the court, as well as what the court works on, is a creature of Congress, it's set by statute. The size of the Supreme Court has been changed before. Um, and uh, in, in the 1930s, of course, Franklin Roosevelt proposed increasing it to 15 people. And uh, it, it, I'm against court packing, I don't want it to happen. But that's what the Republicans are doing right now. And I know there's a lot of Democrats who would think, you know what, that's repairing court packing, not starting it. Yes, so those are your options. By the way, Tim Kaine went on TV and said they will not do court backing and they will not do impeachment. So if you take what Nancy Pelosi and Tim Kaine have already said on the record, they don't speak for everyone. But if you take them at their word, they've eliminated almost every option they have in fighting back. So that's where we stand now. They might change their minds. I hope they change their minds. But at least now you guys know what the options are. So Michael Wallman, President of Brennan Center for Justice, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure.